Hey, Shalom, and uh, we are here for this week's class. And I'd like to post over here right now in the comments the link to the handout. Okay, so today's uh, class is called Be Me Up, to beam me up. Okay, so let's start with the modern day issue. What is the modern day issue we want to find out from the mystical teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus? So deep within us, we acknowledge that spiritual is infinite while physical is finite, spiritual is eternal while physical is mortal, and that spiritual is superior while physical is inferior. We also acknowledge that there is something spiritual within us that defines our being alive rather than being a lifeless corpse. However, we identify with our physicality and feel remote from the abstract, intangible spirituality within us. Thus, most often we feel inadequate, inferior, and that our accomplishments are insignificant and lacking when we get out of our own you know beyond our little nose we start feeling quite inferior quite insignificant so um our reactions what are our reactions when we start feeling insignificant inferior well one of two one is that we take an ego persona always busy proving ourselves and everyone else that we are so much better than to fully embrace our eternal and infinite spirituality in all our affairs. I'm here to share with you that neither of those will really work. Why? Well, here's the challenge. When we take on an ego persona, trying to project what we don't truly believe, and that is true about anyone that deals with an ego, uh, whenever we're experiencing ego, we're actually experiencing our insecurity, our inferiority, and we're trying to overcome it. Uh, people who don't have inferiority complexes and don't have insecurities aren't busy with egos. So when we're trying to prove something that we don't truly believe in, ultimately we're going to come face to face with a teaching of Rabbi Shmuel of Lubavitch, the Reb Marash. And he said to someone as follows, God, you're not fooling. Me, you're not fooling. Others, you're not fooling. You are fooling but yourself. And what is the great wisdom in fooling a fool? Harsh words, but sometimes the ego needs to be cracked. Now, what happens if we try to become all spiritual? Well, our sages say that in three ways we are compared to angels, spiritual, and in three ways we're compared to animals, physical. Uh, if trying to be only spiritual would be to deny, suppress 50% of our being, and such suppression always leads to frustration and even mental illness. So either reaction we're going to have to our inferiority complex of uh, knowing that we're very physical and that we, we don't even really tangibly connect with our spirituality, whether we're going to go to the ego extreme or whether we're going to go to the spiritual extreme, we're going to end up without contentment. So... The question we will explore here is how to fully embrace all that we are, both the physical and the spiritual, the spiritual and the physical, with absolute contentment. 
and with absolute no sense of inferiority. So my friends, this lecture is based on a mimer delivered by the Rebbe in 1959 on Yud Shvat, which is the, that year was the ninth Hilula, day of passing of the previous Rebbe in 1951 and 1950, and on the 8th anniversary of the Rebbe's leadership in which the Rebbe publicly accepted in 1951. Okay, so before we go on, I want to just share with you what's special about these Maimarim, these teachings of the Rebbe. So the previous Rebbe, before he passed away, the previous Rebbe was suffering from MS, the previous Rebbe had a stroke, and his speech was not understood by all. And uh, he would write. He would write his discourses, and they would uh, prepare it in a typeset, and he would check it over, and he would give it out in printed form. Um, the Shabbat Parshat Bo, this week's parsha, the 10th of, of, the 10th of Shvat in the year 1950, Again, before that Shabbat, the, Rebbe gave, the previous Rebbe gave out a series of four discourses. And each one of those discourses made up of five chapters, 20 chapters. And that became known as Hemshech Hahilula, the series of the passing of the previous Rebbe. The Rebbe would often say that that was his will and testimony, his last will and testimony and everything we need to know on how to survive until Mashiach comes is hidden in there. Now, starting in 1951, the Rebbe would always create his own mimer on one of the on one of the consecutive chapters of the 20 chapters. 1951 would be chapter one, and then in 1971, after the Rebbe finished 20 of his own mimerim based on the 20 consecutive chapters of the previous Rebbe series, he started over. This year, the year 2019, is chapter nine. We have one mimer that the Rebbe delivered on this chapter in 1959 and three mimerim that the Rebbe delivered in 1979. Now, um, I'm going to just tell you in short what the first eight chapters are talking about, then get into the ninth chapter and see how that's going to answer our modern day issue of that feeling of inferiority because we're mortal, because we're insignificant in the greater scheme of spiritual reality. Um, so the first, uh, my, the first eight my Maimorim talk about the concept of the teaching of our sages that says that there were seven sinners, Adam with the sin of the tree of knowledge, Cain and Abel, and so forth and so on, seven different sinners, and each one, so to speak, pushed the away God from earth to the lowest heaven, to the higher heaven, to the higher heaven, each one of the seven pushing God's presence further and further away until God was only in the highest heaven, the first heaven. After that, the, the, the teaching goes on to say, came along seven righteous people, starting with Abraham, and he started bringing God down. Abraham went and taught people about monotheism, about God of heaven and earth. And this kept on going. He brought God from heaven number seven to number six and all the way down till heaven number one. And then came the seventh generation, which was Moses. And what did God tell Moses to do? To build a physical tabernacle, bringing God back down to his garden, planet earth, the physical realm of the universe. So then we talk about, okay, so let's look at the details of the building of the tabernacle and the details of 
the services in the tabernacle to understand how we bring God into our physical lives and ultimately how we bring Mashiach, which is the revealed presence of God within the physical world. So we talk about the building and in chap and the services, for example, it all comes through transformation of the foolish ego of physical into the transparency of the spiritual. For example, Maimonides tells us what is the most important service in the holy temple is that of sacrifices. Okay, what does that mean? Sacrifices. What it means on a deeper level is that within me I have an egocentric animalistic drive. It's all about me, 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 me. I am the, the center of the universe. I love what gives me pleasure. I fear what gives me pain. It's all about me. Now, sacrifice means to take that animalistic, egocentric, foolish paradigm, bring it onto the altar of God, have it consumed by the fiery love of the godly soul within me, which yearns just to be one with God. So too, we go on into chapter 9, and we talk about the walls of the tabernacle. Now, you'll see I put in the comments, I put a link. It's basically a handout which will give you information, links of exactly how the beams of the tabernacle work. What's important for us is that the uh, sages tell us something very interesting. Everything that took place in the physical, in the physical tabernacle is a reflection of the spiritual tabernacle in heaven. God told Moses, you shall make as you have seen. So Moses spent 120 days total up in heaven, the first 40, then the second 40, then the third 40, and then God tells him, build a tabernacle. And he builds a tabernacle. And God tells him, build it as you've seen it. Thus, everything has its spiritual dimension. What is the spiritual dimension of the beams that make up the walls. So the Hebrew word for beams that's used in the Torah is amudim, plural for amud. The word amudim also is from the word omdim. It's the same letters, and the Talmud tells us that the letters is an extrapolation between the two, oimdim, amidim, and thus you have the concept of to stand. Now, what is that? So let me share with you something unbelievable from our sages. Concerning the beams of the walls of the Mishkan, and I'm quoting to you, the sages tell us in the Medrash, Shemot Rabbah, just as above there are, what Isaiah says, seraphim, a type of fiery angels, stood above from him, him, capital H, so to below, Exodus tells us, and you shall make the planks for the Mishkan of acacia wood upright. Omdim, Amudim. Now, they're the same letters in Hebrew. And um, what does that mean? So let's, let's look into this. First of all, it's important to understand Seraphim are the highest level of angels. All other angels live in the lower world called Yitzirah, formation. Seraphim exist in the world of Briah, creation, a higher spiritual realm. The world of creation, we're taught, has the Kiseh HaKavod, the throne of glory. If you look into Ezekiel's first chapter, the first prophecy of Ezekiel, he talks about what he saw when he saw the throne of glory, the Markava. And I want to just point out one thing. It says over there that, and I read to you, likeness 
And on the likeness of the throne was a likeness like the appearance of a man upon it above. And obviously he's talking about some level of revelation of divinity. Now when we say that the angels, Isaiah says, stands above him, what we're talking about is that these angels, through their absolute yearning to become one with God, they actually reach an experience of standing above him, meaning above that likeness of appearance of a man that was on the chariot, on the throne of glory, which Ezekiel saw. Thus, we're talking about the highest level of angels, and within the highest level of angels, we're talking about how their state of yearning takes them even to higher than their own capacity. Okay, that's what God's telling us I want you to do in the walls of your Mishkan, to make the Amudim, which are the reflection, the embodiment of the Omdim, above the throne of glory okay now let's take out something else something very interesting so in exodus god tells us and you shall make a sanctuary and i shall dwell within them question a sanctuary singular i will dwell bitocham in them plural it should have said bitocho singular in it there are many different answers. God, one says that God was already prophesizing about the future temples, temple number one, temple number two, and then God willing, speedily in our days, temple number three. But there's another interesting teaching from the Jerusalem Talmud that says, Betocham, betoch kol echad ve'echad. God is actually telling us that ultimately each and every one of us is the holy temple in which God rests. And thus, ultimately, we have to look at how we built the tabernacle and find out within the building of self. Thus, this great magnitude of a level called Omdim, Amudim, above the throne, actually has to exist within us. Even more than that, our sages tell us that the comparison between the beams and the seraphim standing above is actually a weak comparison because we are even higher than that. Why so? Because the angels are yearning for something that doesn't exist within them, while every single Jew has within him a soul which is truly a piece of God. Thus, what they yearn, we are, and thus we can achieve even higher than what the Srofim. And that's what the Amudim, the beams, that God is commanding us to build, that's what it is in our lives. And we're going to see what that means. Okay. Let's talk about spiritual beams and physical beams. Now, there are spiritual beams in heaven and there are physical beams upon earth. Now, what is the difference between the two? <laughs> Pay attention. This is so interesting. So, in heaven, the up is the foundation from which beams come down to hold the lower. In other words, the ceiling is supporting the floor. The higher realms are what are supporting and through which come about the lower realms. In our world, it's the opposite. The beams are on the floor and they support and hold up the roof. Interesting, God is commanding us 
not to create a roof from which will hold up a floor. Rather, God is telling us specifically the foundation and the main concept is the floor, the physical, from which you shall then extend beams to hold up and support the roof, the spiritual. Very interesting. So the main part of the temple is actually to make sure that the physical, which is the most important, the most powerful, is supporting the spiritual. Unlike from above, in which the spiritual, the higher spiritual, has to support and bring about and hold up the lower spiritual. So that's a very interesting concept. Now, once again, I want to share with you that we're finding that the physical is stronger than the spiritual, just like we said earlier, that where the spiritual beam reaches of the seraphim is not as high as where the physical beams reach. And thus, we're hearing here that the amudim, the physical beams of the macroscopic temple, which stood in Sinai Desert, and in the microscopic temple, you and I, those beams are expected to reach and connect to even higher than the highest angels in its depth of yearning above him who sits on the throne. And obviously, as you know, in the world of Chabad, there's no abstract. It's got to be practical. Tell me how to be a better person to a better parent, a better friend, a better spouse, a better human being from all of these teachings. So we're supposed to become practically higher than the greatest of angels in its greatest of yearning. Let's see how that works. So let's understand now what the beams within ourselves are. So it is a beautiful teaching. And it says as follows, 620 mitzvot. Now the reason we have 620 when there's only 613 is because the Zohar teaching is including the 613 biblical commandments and the seven rabbinical commandments. There are seven rabbinical commandments. One of the famous ones that we all know, for example, is uh, lighting Shabbos candles. Another one is the holiday of Purim or Passover. It happened after the five books of Moses uh, were finished, so it can't be a biblical commandment, um, and so forth and so on. So the 7 and the 613 equals 620. Says the holy teachings that the 620 mitzvot are 620 beams that connect heaven and earth. Now, I want to add on some interesting uh, flavor here from the world of Kabbalah. 620 is the numerical value of the word crown. In Kabbalah, this represents the supernal crown, which is the will above intellect, the power of will. Thus, we're saying that these beams, these 620 mitzvot, what they're all about is to connect the power of will, the will of God, for that's what commandments are, the will of God, to connect us with the will of God beyond the intellect, the crown upon his head. Okay. Now, let's understand something. What our sages tell us that when Moses went up to heaven, um, after the Ten Commandments, God told Moses, come on up, and then I'm going to give you the Torah. He spent 40 days and nights there. Uh, the Talmud tells us that the angels questioned, what is the offspring of woman doing amongst us? 
And God answered, he's here to take the Torah. And the angels burst into shock and said, what? Why would you give your perfect Torah to imperfect human beings? To know, give your glory in heaven where it'll always be pure and holy and observed and sanctified. Not down there. And God tells Moses, answer them. Moses says, I'm afraid. The seraphim can burn me up. So God says, hold on to my throne and answer them. Moses holds on to the throne. And if you look at what his answer is, the drive of his whole answer is that the Torah cannot be absolutely actualized in its fullest experience and power and intent on the spiritual level. And thus he shoots out at them. Hmm, do you have a father and mother? How are you going to keep the commandment of honor your father and mother? Were you ever in Egypt? How are you going to sanctify and keep the Passover? Do you, would you have an evil inclination? How can you keep the verse sanctify yourself? You don't have this notion of being non-holy. And thus he's telling them it's not about spiritual, it's about physical. What does that mean to us? What that means to us is that the shorter beam is the spiritual observance and heeding of mitzvot. However, there is a greater beam, a longer beam, a more powerful beam, which is not only the beam of mitzvot, but the beam of physically observed mitzvot. The previous Rebbe says that even the six commandments, which are called chovot levavot, the duties of the heart, love God, fear God, have to manifest itself physically. He says he means it practical when you're loving, your physical heart is expanding. When you're in fear, your, your physical heart is contracting. Thus, the constriction and the expansion of the heart, that has to be really going into a meditation, concentration to connect with God and feel love for God or awe of God. That has to exist. Everything has to be physical because there's the higher beam and there's the lower beam the shorter beam and the longer beam. And thus, when we talk about doing mitzvot, it's not only that mitzvot connects us to the supernal crown, that's spiritual. There's a physical which takes us even beyond the crown into the essence. Now, I want to just share it briefly. Many times you'll hear me say the word essence. If there is a name to the level of revelation, then it's not essence because a name is descriptive and essence defies description. So as infinite, encompassing, circular that the supernal crown is, the mere fact that it has a title, supernal crown, it's this and not that. It's not the essence. Thus, we're going to talk about the power of the physical mitzvot taking us into the essence rather than just the power of will. Now, how does this happen? How is it that only through the physical mitzvot can we go beyond the supernal crown into the essence connection with God? To understand this, I'm going to introduce here an amazing Kabbalistic ruling that says that which is higher, higher, descends lower, lower. Now, that's a very simple teaching, but we really need to understand it. So, you know, when I was in school, before we started learning deeper stuff, 
they taught us that, you know, if you have a wall and it falls, which row of bricks fall the furthest and the deepest into the ground? The top row, because the bigger the fall. If you have something like this and you're turning it upside down, so the higher becomes the lower. That's one understanding. However, I want to talk now about this concept of the higher and the lower as the difference for a moment between sitting and standing. When you're sitting, three things happen. Your head is lowered. In the throne of glory and in, and in Kabbalistic sitting, you also have a footstool. So your feet are lifted and your body is not in one linear-like position. When you're standing, A, your head is higher, B, your feet are touching the ground, lower, and C, you are in one vertical likeness. In Kabbalah, this tells us a lot. In Kabbalah, this tells us that the sitting is a descent. It's not the ultimate height. The top of the beam does not reach the ultimate height. The bottom of the beam doesn't reach the ultimate depth. And in between, it's different layers. Different levels of revelation. It's not God is one and one is God. We see different levels. When you're standing, the higher level, so the head of the beam is as high as it goes. The bottom of the beam takes it all the way down to the physical nether. And in between, it's all one vertical oneness. Now, let's talk about this with mitzvot. When, when we're doing physical mitzvot, what are we doing? We're going into the highest of the high, that's standing. And we're bringing it down to the lowest of the low. When there's only spiritual dimensions of mitzvot, so the seraphim are upon the throne of glory, but the throne of glory is a sitting position, which is a descent in both how high it goes and how low it goes and what happens in between. Thus, when we're taught that we, in our inner holy temple, have to have beams, and beams are mitzvot, it's not enough to have the spirituality of the mitzvot. We need to have the physicality of the mitzvot to observe the mitzvot physically because then we're on the longer beam which ultimately is the higher beam of oneness thus only through the physical can we reach the essence while through the spiritual we only reach the supernal crown and now the question is why why is it so so i want to share with you that there are three metaphors besides the one i told you about the falling wall there are three metaphors that are brought about this one rule. Higher, higher, descends lower, lower. One is that of a torch. What's the difference between a powerful torch and a less powerful torch? Is how far the light goes. So even though the further you go, the weaker it gets. And when you want to know the ultimate power, you have to go to the point where it's the weakest. It's no more shining. Right there, that last point is the weakest of weakest. But that weakest testifies on how powerful the torch is. So too, the lowest, the physical, truly testifies on the omnipotence of God. A second metaphor is a barrel filled with water 
and it's so overfilled that the droplets are between the planks of the walls of the barrel are sneaking out. Yeah, we're only talking about droplets. What's a droplet compared to what's in the barrel? But that droplet testifies how overwhelming what is in the barrel. So too with the physical, the droplet in the face of the barrel of spirituality. But this truly testifies on how overwhelming the omnipotence of God is. And then there's a third. The third metaphor is of having a child. Having a child is done through a physical transmission. Now let's talk about this for a moment. In Ethics of Our Fathers, in the last chapter, it talks about 48 prerequisites in the relationship between a true Torah teacher and student. And all of it is about abstinence, self-refinement, becoming spiritual. And nevertheless, the relationship between a teacher and a student is limited. Because the student either has a brain or doesn't have a brain. If the student has the power of intellect, then the teacher can refine it and mold it. But if not, it is what it is. Now let's talk about the relationship in father-child, parents, father-mother-child. The father-mother is creating the very being of the child. There is no limit in the child's capacity into what the father and mother could put into him. Rather, the father and mother, they create the entirety of the being, the physical being of the child. In other words, from a Kabbalistic level, we're going back to the sitting standing, the shorter being, the longer being, the spiritual, the physical. In the spiritual, you can only transmit the expression of, not the essence of. While in the physical, what the father and mother are doing is, they're actually giving their very essence in the DNA of their being. Thus, very interesting, a blind mother and a blind father from birth can have a seeing child. How? How can you give what you don't have? The answer is they don't have it on expression level, but there's no such thing as a blind human on the deepest core level. There's no such thing as a deaf human. Thus, because the transmission of the physical comes from the essence, not from the expression, thus you can give even what you don't have in a revealed level because you're giving your essence. Now, this is a little mind-boggling. Why would it be that to give the lower transmission, spiritual, you have to have all these prerequisites and it's all got to be done right? While... To give the ultimate expression of self, it's physical. You don't have to prepare yourself spiritually. F, you can be drunk. How many people have, you know, had a child by mistake? What, what's going on here? Why is it that the depth of procreation is done in the physical while the higher being of the human is only done spiritually and is limited. Now there's an answer to this. And the answer to this is that from spirituality can only come spirituality. You cannot contract the spiritual until from it comes physical. It just won't happen. Spiritual cannot bring about the physical. The physical is something that's not within the realm of the spiritual. Thus, when God created all of the universe, 
And it all started from the supernal crown of the infinite light in its highest pre-contraction level. From that could only come spiritual. Angels, faces as it's called in Kabbalah, emanations, realms of spirituality, vessels, lights. From spiritual could come spiritual, and from the higher, the beams, to the lower, to the lower, to the lower. But you cannot have from infinite light should come the physical. Thus, where did the physical come from? And the answer is that the physical only came from the essence of God, not from the infinite light, not from the spirituality. Thus, only through the physical can we connect to essence, and only from the essence can come the physical. Thus, we understand what the commandment truly is. The commandment is, if you want to truly connect with God as a child to a father, not just as a student to a teacher, if you want to truly become one with the essence of God, then abstinence and isolation isn't going to work. Because you're going to be spiritual and your spirituality can only connect you with the spirituality, which is the infinite light. However, when you're willing to do something physical, when your relationship to God is not just about the abstract and the spiritual, it's the physical, it's what I eat and what I don't eat, what I say and what I don't say, what I do and what I don't do, then you're connecting the physical to the essence. This is the longer beam. This is not from the supernal crown to the lowest spiritual realm. This is what Moses did. He brought heaven down to earth. And thus God said, not my supernal crown will be in the holy temple. I will rest in the temple. My essence. Because when you physically serve me, you're physically connecting with what only physical could connect with. And that is the essence. Because the essence is where the physical came from. I, I'm going to just throw this in there. This isn't really part of this lecture. But I once had an interesting conversation with an atheist. And I told him that an atheist is the ultimate proof that God exists. And he said, how so? I said, because it's impossible for any logic to say that something comes from nothing. A painting begets an artist. Uh, a cake begets a baker. Where does it come to this notion that something comes from nothing. Only the physical human being can have that. You can't have an angel who's an atheist. Because the angel looks in the mirror, sees self. If there's self, there's got to be where this self came from. The reason why the human, the physical human can embody atheism is because we come from the essence and the essence exists from self and has no source thus it's within our dynamics to somehow fathom that one can come from self without a source that is essence thus when we serve god physically not spiritually when we serve god physically we're connecting with the essence of god these are the beams 
of the holy temple. These are the ones that don't just go from one foot above the earth. No, it's on the earth. It doesn't just go to the supernal crown, which is upon the throne of girl glory. It goes to the essence. Thus again, only from essence can come physical. Only through the physical can we connect with the essence. Now let's go back in closing to that which we began talking about. Let us return to our modern-day issue of feeling inferior as a physical human or discontent with being a spiritual human. The answer is not to live a spiritual life, void of physical life. Abstinence and, iso and isolation is bound to have us discontent. A life of physical pursuit is like the life of an addict, looking for a drug to numb our feelings of self. We feel less than, we got to numb that feeling. What humans need is to fully embrace living a physical life of spirituality. Yes, we make money, but we do so honestly and pray for the knowledge and willingness to do God's will with our money. Contentment can only be found on the physical mitzvah beam. That paradox, physical mitzvah in which we embrace the physicality of our being, physical, and the spirituality of God's will, mitzvah, and we embrace God's spiritual will with our physical actions. That's the only way to find contentment. I'm going to share it with you with something I just heard this morning, and I really, I looked it up actually, it's really beautiful. What is the etymology of the word enthusiasm? Because that's really what we're looking for in life. We're looking in life to have enthusiasm, whatever it is, feel alive. Feeling alive is to be enthusiastic. So let me share with you the etymology of the word enthusiasm is actually Greek for theo, which means God. Enthusiastic means to be possessed by a divinity. The only way we humans can ever become enthusiastic is if we're willing to embrace the beam me up. Not spiritual without physical, not physical without spiritual. Spiritual denies physical, physical denies spiritual, but then there's the essence from which the physical and the spiritual equally come. And thus for me to truly find my connection with contentment, is to be spiritual in all our affairs. If you're spiritual in the synagogue and you're physical in your office, it's not going to work. The synagogue needs your spiritual commitment and your office needs some spirituality. And thus, to truly get over feeling inferior, insecure, in truly being content with our spirituality, we need to be physically spiritual. Thank you.